This is WNXS News with your anchors, Kit Harding, Jake E, ISO on Esports, and Diz on Product Forecast. Welcome to WNXS News, your nexus for magic news. I'm Jake E. And I'm Kit Harding. Thank you for joining us. As 2021 comes to a close, it's the usual custom of magic content creators to pause, reflect, and review the year's worth of magic products and releases. We, however, have decided to buck tradition and simply report the news as usual. What tradition? We haven't been doing this for a whole year yet. It's been almost a whole year. That's still not enough time for us to have traditions. Well, not with that attitude, it's not. Someday I'm going to throw you into the mono vortex. That is not in the spirit of this, the most joyous of seasons. You said we were bucking tradition. Our top story looks forward instead of behind, with new information recently given about Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. First things first, so let's go through the key dates mentioned. Starting on January 11th, we'll be getting world-building details for Neon Dynasty, as well as the History and Legends of Kamigawa article series. In addition, the official story pieces will be published from January 24th through the 27th. That all sounds like it will be released in the same week, right? Exactly. Due to the sheer depth of the original Kamigawa story, as well as covering the large timeline gap, Wizards will be releasing the full Neon Dynasty story ahead of its preview season. Speaking of that preview season, it's scheduled to begin on January 27th in what is dubbed Kamigawa Debut Day. Isn't that a misnomer? Kamigawa was debuted years ago. Well, it's a lot to say Kamigawa Neon Dynasty every time we refer to Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. I suppose that is a fair point. Alongside the start of previews, the official debut video will happen that day. Previews for the main set will run through February 4th, and previews for the commander decks will begin a few days later on February 7th, and will finish the next day. Digital release of the set happens on February the 10th, with pre-release week events starting immediately after on February 11th. Full release for the set is February 18th and has a weekend full of in-store draft events. Valentine's Day has some competition this year. Finally, after decades of pressure to buy the perfect romantic gift, now there's the pressure of the perfect pack cracking or the perfect pre-release kit. So what are you doing to be perfect for the pre-release? Melodramatically lamenting the new wave of the pandemic that shall prevent me from joining the depths of the LGS's basement, there to take in the glory of cards we know not, for such adventures are again behind us, for civil society becomes but a dream as the mana vortex rises again! You must be boatloads of fun on Valentine's Day. 
I'm very fun the day after Valentine's Day when there are half-priced giant hearts full of fancy chocolate. Are you putting those chocolates into your chocolate Yargle deck? I don't know what that is, but it sounds like a pirate. And we should probably discuss what we know about the neon cards of glorious Kamigawa. That sounds like a job for Diz. However, this episode, Diz is taking a holiday sabbatical, so we have a guest correspondent, Daryl. Daryl, take it away. Thank you, Jank. First up, the thing that caught people's attention the most out of all that was revealed, the new Ukiyo-e lands. These are intended as a traditional homage to Japanese printing and are done by Japanese artists. Two are available for each basic land type, and they'll all be found amongst all three booster pack types. You'll have a third of draft and set boosters that will have these lands, and every collector booster will definitely have one, so you've got plenty of options no matter which way you go with your boosters. I guess it was too much to hope that these would be available in the land packs of the bundles for the set. That would be just a tad too convenient. There were some actual spells spoiled also, correct? There were. First of the three revealed cards is the new Planeswalker from the key art for the set, Kaito Shizuki. He is a very low-cost Planeswalker at only one, a blue, and a black, and he comes in with three loyalty counters. He even protects himself for a 10 with a static ability that says, at the beginning of your instep, if Kaito Shizuki entered the battlefield this turn, he phases out. You gotta love a Planeswalker that can protect themselves, just gotta. His first ability adds a loyalty counter and says, draw a card, then discard a card unless you attack this turn. And that's followed with his middle ability that subtracts two loyalty and says you get a 1-1 unblockable ninja token. And the final ultimate ability of this planeswalker is a minus seven and gives its controller an emblem with whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, search your library for a blue or black creature card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. Those ninja tokens being unblockable feels like a sign that the ninjutsu mechanic is making a comeback, right? We're not a speculation podcast, just the facts, Jank. What else was spoiled? Two more creatures, that's what else. Atsushi the Blazing Sky is a 4-mana red legendary dragon spirit that's also a 4-4 with flying and trample, also known as flample, for those at home. And when it dies, its controller either exiles the top two cards in the library and can play those until the end of the next turn, or it makes three treasures. The other was a 4-4, this time for three and a black, Hidetsugu Devouring Chaos. It can either let its controller pay one black and sacrifice a creature to scry two, or it can pay two and a red and tap it to exile the top card of your library. You'll be able to play it that turn, and whenever you exile a non-land card this way, Hidetsuku Devouring Chaos deals damage equal to the exile card's mana value to any target. This card also has four unique neon foil styles, each one at a different rarity level. These will be yellow, blue, 
green, and red, and can only be found in the Collecta Boosters. Less than 1% of those packs will have the Neon Ink cards, and there are half as many green as there are blue, and a quarter that many red as there are green, and the yellow will be used as a promotional card for premium LGSs. So go out, support your LGS, they need it. Jank. Thank you, Daryl. It's time we take a short break, and when we come back, we have new information regarding the alchemy format. Hey, listeners. Jank E here. Have you been able to support small businesses this year? I know that I haven't as much as I would like. But one small business that I can definitely say deserves your support is Infinitokens. You've heard us talk about them numerous times on the show. You've even heard them interview with us before. This is not a sponsored commercial because they still are not able to sponsor people. But that's fine. We just really think they're neat, and we think that they deserve more support. So go out there to their Etsy shop, order yourself some tokens, some of the little counter tokens, whatever it takes. They've got great deals, great packages. And while it's too late for you to get them for someone's Christmas gift, someone's birthday has to be right around the corner. Valentine's Day is only in two months. Go support Infinite Tokens like they support the community. Welcome back to WNXS News. By the time this episode airs, Alchemy will have been available on Arena for about two weeks. Two weeks, all those players, and still no lead to gold. Not even any cardboard to gold. Well, Sheepwave is close with her gold-gilded printing process, but I don't think that's quite the same thing. Hmm, fair. Last episode, we mentioned that we reached out to Watsi for more information about the new format. This episode, we're happy to announce they responded! Blake Rasmussen set aside time for an interview answering questions about the criteria for nerfing or strengthening, who's on the team that determines which cards are changed, and more. I am joined by Blake Rasmussen uh, of Wizards of the Coast. Blake, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Um... Blake, for those of our listeners who don't quite know who you are, could you please go into a little bit about who you are and what you do for the company? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my my job title is officially Senior Communications Manager. Um, what that means is that when we talk to fans across a number of different mediums, be it social media or web, or um, I even work with our, our PR side a bit. Basically, when we talk to the fans, those words and, and all the things we say and what we want to communicate goes through uh, me and our team. So um, the, the Daily MTG team is is on my squad. Uh, the community managers are uh, on my team. Um, we work closely with PR, um, uh, press relations specifically there. Uh, and then we work with the marketing teams really closely. And um, the the other thing I do, of course, is I say, of course, like everybody knows this, but <laughs> I host uh, <laughs> Weekly MTG, which is our weekly show where we share news and, and insights into everything. 
Okay, great. Um, diving right in, uh, about a, not quite a week ago from the date of recording, uh, Alchemy, the newest format to hit Arena, launched. Um, it's the it's the digital only format with brand new digital only cards. And we just had a handful of questions that weren't quite covered in the Q&A from the original announcement. First and foremost, uh, one of the most notable things about the format is that there not only will there be digital only cards, but existing cards from standard sets will be errated for rebalancing. Can you tell us a little bit about who is on the team to be deciding those changes? Yeah, so it's a lot of the same people that um, work on our uh, our BNR lists and announcement. Um, people from uh, we call them Studio X. Uh, so the, there is an article written on December second uh, by Donald Smith. He's one of the primary people who's involved in a lot of those rebalances. Dave Humphreys came on the show when we introduced Alchemy. He's involved. Uh, but it's a, it's a lot of the names and faces that you'll recognize uh, from a lot of those those card balance um, BNR conversations in the past. Okay. Um, and along that same trail, what is it that that team is going to be looking for to make those changes, to inform the decisions about those changes. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Donald's article, again, I'll, I'll point people there because it covered a bit of this. Um, he, he espoused a bit of a philosophy that the team is starting out with. Um, of course, this will develop as, as we see how alchemy goes and how we see how those changes affect the format and, and kind of where they want to take things. But initially, uh, what they're doing is they're looking at uh, when cards or decks become overrepresented in a format, that's when they'll look to weaken cards. Now, the flip side of that is strengthening cards. Um, That will be more a thing where they look at what players are actually playing with that are not necessarily... um, uh, at a competitive level. So these are these are cards that players have uh, redeemed wild cards for or that are showing up in a lot of uh, decks that are less competitive um, and, and looking at what people are actually playing and enjoying but not necessarily having success with and then pulling those up a little bit more so that they can further enjoy those. Um, the other caveat to all of this that um, we tried to make a little bit clear but but got a little bit lost in the noise I think is that we're not going to be rebalancing cards that have significant history behind them so a lot of these are going to be things like reprints so again in the article Donald Smith cited like Thalia Guardian of Thraben, Lotus Cobra, Thoughtseize, Negate um, cards that we are intimately familiar with and have been familiar with for a long time changing those cards is just it's too weird um and it's not something that they're likely to do they'd look in other spaces okay um this is a bit of an odd question but in addition to any changes that are made to the format is is there an expectation of an actual banned or suspended list like we've seen or will all of that type of change just be handled by rebalancing those cards So a banned list is not off the table. Um, You you can look historic right now. Currently still has a banned list. Um, 
that's that's kind of a, a a measure of last resort. What will likely happen, and again, all of this is sort of subject to change based on play patterns and alchemy, reactions to changes, all of that sort of stuff. The, the team's still learning how and what people like um, and don't like about the format and the rebalances. And so what's most likely to happen is if a card becomes problematic in some way, first, it will be weakened in some way. So we'll, we'll take Alrin's Epiphany as an example. So Alrin's Epiphany was weakened as part of the initial change to cards. Now, if for some reason the Alrin's Epiphany deck even in alchemy, even after Alrin's Epiphany was weakened, is still a problem, the team could look to just ban it and say, you know what, this card just, you know, we tried to weaken it, it didn't work, let's just take it out. That is a possibility. I think the preference, the great preference, is to let people play with the cards that they have in some form or fashion. Um, to to adjust them in a way or adjust the metagame in a way that um, they they can still be a healthy part of the rotation. But we don't want to take that tool off the table um, because we want to make sure ultimately that it is a fun and enjoyable experience uh, for anyone who's playing it. Okay. Um, a lot of the prominent community figures, uh, the content creators, have expressed some concerns that because this format is going to, any changes to cards uh, will be relying so heavily on errata or the format itself will be relying so heavily on it, that it's possible design for standard sets or for standard format will be a little a little less carefully done. Uh, what would you or what would the company say to alleviate those concerns? So standard sets are still primarily designed for standard. So let's take Crimson Vow as an example, because Crimson Vow is our first set that has an alchemy set attached to it. Uh, Crimson Vow was not designed as a set for alchemy. So that's what the alchemy drops really do. Um, those are the sets that are, those are the, they're not full sets. They're, you know, they're going to be 30 cards. Those are the ones that are designed for the alchemy format. They still have to and will balance cards for the standard format. That's not going away. Um, you know, as paper play opens up, we expect to see more standard play coming. Standard is still incredibly heavily played on arena. You know, standard best of one right. has been the, uh, pardon the pun, the standard mode of play on <laughs> arena for its entire life and so it's not it's not like oh now we have alchemy and we can change cards later standard is still a major format and and it is not worth breaking standard to then fix it in alchemy because because standard is still its own thing and you know standard doesn't get alchemy cards in paper that's that's the whole point and so it's 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 not worth breaking a paper format to uh, try to make alchemy something different. Uh, this whole year has been a little bit back and forth and a lot of unknown when it comes to competitive magic and the future of competitive magic. Uh, there's been changes for tournament structure, been changes on the expectations players should have. Is alchemy planned to play a part in the future of competitive magic, whatever that might look like? It will certainly play some role. 
exactly what that role is going to be. Again, um, is the team is looking at how do players engage with alchemy? Um, what types of players engage with alchemy? Is it the same mm-hmm. types of players who um, played in, say, an arena open before? Or are, is it primarily players who kind of dip in and dip out and just like to have fun with the program? Right now, uh, the team certainly is looking at some options for including alchemy. But again, a lot of that's going to be data-driven um, based on play and um, what we think is best for the format. The full interview can be found at mtgnexus.com. It's now time for another break. When we return, we'll have more information about new arena events. As well as the return of an old store favorite. Are you worried about home invasion? The cabal has been banished for now, but you never know when they'll return. Or, heaven help us, the Phyrexians. Ah, What's that? Anyway... At Norin's Home Security Emporium, we have all the options you'll ever need to protect your home with warnings from miles around. For example, this alarm system is the newest unprecedented technological wonder. Hit it! Oh god, it's attacking on exile! <clears throat> yes, indeed. Well, here in New Benalia, Norrin's home security emporium. All you need to protect your estate. Welcome back! We'll jump right in with new event details. ISO is also out this episode as they battle frost giants to the far north. However, coming in to help save the day is Fade Ruin, MTG Nexus site owner. By the time this episode airs, arena players will be well into the MTG Arena Decathlon. This is a collection of events held December 18th through New Year's Day, with each event having a different focus. From the December 24th through the 26th, Decathlon 5 and 6 will fire. Decathlon 5 is a Zendikar Rising Phantom Bot Draft, and Decathlon 6 is a Historic Artisan. The 27th through the 29th will hold Decathlon 7, which is just Historic, and Decathlon 8, a Singleton event. December 30th and January 1st will have a Decathlon 9 and 10, a traditional standard best of three event, and a Strixhaven Phantom Turbo Draft, respectfully. For those unfamiliar with the term, a Turbo Draft grants players an emblem stating all spells cost five colorless less to cast. Playing in as many events as possible grants Decathlon tokens, and the more you get, the closer to earning your entry to the Arena Decathlon Finals, where the real prizes are. Any participation grants you a special prize sleeve. As for the finals themselves, a player will complete in the Phantom Arena Cube Best of Three Draft, continuing until they reach either seven wins or three losses, whichever comes first. Rewards for wins include rare wild cards, draft tokens, special sleeves, and for the player who gets the full seven wins, a complete arena set of Neon Dynasty. This will be one copy of each card and is limited to one complete set per account. 
The finals will take place January 8th through the 9th. Jenk? Thank you so much, Fade. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Our next story, Wheel of Fortune, is one of the most iconic cards in the entire history of Magic the Gathering. Its overall impact on the game is such that it has inspired spin-off cards such as Magus of the Wheel and Wheel of Misfortune. The impact is such that the entire genre of toss-your-hand-for-another-hand cards is collectively called Wheels. And it hasn't seen print in paper since the revised edition, but it was in the Magic Online set Vintage Masters, complete with a new artwork. The original painting for that version of the card was put up for auction on December 12th and sold for $70,000, bringing the total dollar amount of the five vintage paintings sold that weekend and the previous weekend to more than $125,000. And once again, showing why I personally shouldn't be trusted with time travel, as I would most certainly buy up investments like this in advance and sell them for profit in my own present day. I've heard of worse time travel uses, in all honesty. Yes, but have you heard of more selfish ones? Some people use it for murder. As your co-host, I can't help but feel a little concerned that that was your first thought. Should I be? Why would I need time travel for murder? I said I was going to toss you into the mana vortex. See, that's the kind of thing I meant. How is that not murder? And you say I don't have a sense of humor. (sighs) Our final story. The Commander's Brew podcast is one of the original driving forces in Commander content creation. They started off by doing budget deck techs, keeping the builds around under $50, but eventually that became too hard to continue to do while also building original and playable decks, so now they typically aim for $100 or thereabouts. For the whole history of the podcast, it has been helmed by co-hosts Andy Hull and Sean Tiberis. Unfortunately, that is soon to change, as Andy has decided to step away from his role as co-host of the podcast. He's doing so not because of any sort of falling out with Sean or anything like that, but he wants to focus his time and his energy elsewhere. And with his recently born second child, that makes total sense. Right, and it is completely understandable. The two hosts have said Andy will be sure to pop in every once in a while, and the podcast will continue with Sean. Guest hosts will also be joining them. We here at WNXS News wish Andy the absolute best and our heartfelt congratulations on his new child. That's all this edition. We'll see you next time. Same time, new news.